Welcome to episode 60, The Truth About Do Something, Red Flag Laws. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as red flag laws, mass shootings, socialism, i.e. free stuff, cryptocurrencies, religious liberty comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. And if you're looking for something to agree on, share episode number 59 with them. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a minute to scroll down and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at TruthQuest Podcast patronage page. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for that link. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. And the video versions of the podcast are available on YouTube and on bitshoot.com. Finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Once I completed my research on this episode, I had to figure out a way to present it, so I came up with this rudimentary outline. What are red flag laws? What are the pros? What are the cons? Questions that must be answered and possible abuses. So let's get started. So what are red flag laws? Well, following the two most recent mass shootings, red flag legislation, also known as gun violence, restraining orders, or extreme risk protection orders, seem to be a hot topic with bipartisan support. You know how these things go. Anytime something bad happens and there's a crisis, you get the cries of do something. What these laws do is enable family members to petition a court for an order enabling legal authorities to temporarily remove guns from those who are deemed to be of significant danger to themselves or to others. These orders are typically brief. They range from a few days to a few weeks. As the AP notes, quote, once the person who is alleged to oppose a risk of gun violence has been given an opportunity to respond, a more permanent order may be granted, typically up to one year. So the first thing you need to understand is this is not a federal issue. The Constitution does not grant the feds the power to pass civil restrictions like red flag laws. But with constitutional literates in the White House, passive members of the GOP and the congressional delegation, and a power-hungry left wing itching to take more and more liberties away from people, we are likely to see some form of unconstitutional federal red flag legislation in the near future. Clearly, the Second Amendment prevents them from infringing on gun ownership rights, so what are they going to do? Well, what they do is they bribe the states with their own money, of course. Senators Lindsey, I never saw a war not worth fighting Graham, and Senator Richard, I lied about serving in Vietnam and somehow I keep getting reelected Blumenthal, have been floating a bill that would essentially bribe the states by granting them money as they pass red flag laws. As Blumenthal himself said, it's no different than drunk driving laws and speed limit laws. If the states want a piece of the money cascading from D.C., the money that is confiscated from those people in those very states, then the states will do what their overlords say. So since this is not a federal issue, let's look at at the states. Truth be told, 17 states already have these laws in one form or another. So what are the pros of red flag laws? Well, this is a bit sketchy because it's hard to point to any success stories. I mean, how, how can you prove you thwarted a mass shooting by taking someone's guns? So let's kind of put that on hold for now, but let's talk about the cons. And as you might imagine, I am extremely skeptical of these laws. First of all, these laws have bipartisan support. And I don't know about you, but when any piece of legislation has Democrats and Republicans locking arms in agreement, you gotta wonder what kind of trouble lies ahead. 
This is an example of do something, and the something ends up being yet another incremental infringement on our constitutional rights. Sacrificing civil liberties is always a bad idea. They should be protected at all costs. Let's be honest, anyone with a lick of common sense knows this is simply backdoor gun control or confiscation. It doesn't take much of a leap to see where this leads. More on that as the episode unfolds. So let's start with the most obvious con to red flag laws, a little thing known as due process. So first of all, you must remember the idea of due process, the constitutional due process that we always talk about, applies to the federal government only, not to the states. The Fifth Amendment's mention of due process is explicitly directed at the federal government. The Fourteenth Amendment's mention of due process and equal protection only applied to the newly freed slaves. So as I discussed in episode 37, the truth about the Bill of Rights, the incorporation doctrine, the 14th Amendment was ratified in an effort to solidify the Civil Rights Act of 1866. Equal protection simply meant that the laws must be enforced the same against whites and blacks. If whites were guaranteed a right, then so were blacks. Things like the right to enter into contracts, own property, inherit property, travel freely, and have access to the courts. The right to due process in a nutshell guaranteed procedural fairness for all people. However, the Supreme Court, as it is apt to do, changed the amendment's meaning, and the states did not oppose it. The court took federally imposed restrictions and incorporated various protections from the Bill of Rights into the 14th Amendment's Due Process Clause and applied the rules to the states. Please listen to episode 37 for a complete explanation. So knowing that these red flag laws are not a federal issue, we got to keep our focus on the states. So when you have Trump and members of Congress posturing and making grandiose claims, but all they can do is bribe the states into passing these laws, as I mentioned earlier, we have an issue. In order to evaluate the constitutionality of these laws, you must look at each individual state's constitution, all of which contains some language about due process or equal protection. It really shouldn't matter what federal officials have to say about these laws. With these red flag laws, a simple accusation from a family member, a friend, or an associate will suffice to seize someone's firearms. In other words, these laws seem to operate in complete opposition to due process. Individuals can take their accusers to court even though the defendant in question has never been charged with or convicted of a crime. Defendants can have their weapons confiscated without a hearing before a judge with months going by before they get their day in court. I mean, seriously, is this America? As Raheem Williams, writing for the Foundation for Economic Education, put it, quote, This backward process would imply that the Second Amendment is a privilege, not a right. Furthermore, state agents finding cause for a warrant and subsequently seizing private property while denying access to a constitutional right seem to be a perfect setup for a kangaroo court system. There is a serious risk that citizens found guilty of nothing and charged with no crime will be paying expensive fees to petition the courts to restore what they should be their constitutionally guaranteed rights. Such concerns aren't just wild superstitions. Our nation's history of corrupt process of civil asset forfeiture gives ample reason to believe the aforementioned outcome is more likely than not. End quote. That's probably the best synopsis I've read about red flag laws. Laws that encroach on constitutional rights by circumventing due process to prevent crimes before they happen should probably not be passed. Where is the presumption of innocence? Seems like we have valued this principle for quite a while. 
you are presumed innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. That is not the case under these red flag laws. You are disarmed first, your guns are seized, and then you can appear in court to defend yourself. Seizing someone's firearm before they can use it in a crime sounds reasonable, but that doesn't mean these laws do not violate civil liberties. Many supporters of red flag laws seem disinterested in how the guns get taken, so long as they are taken. But the how matters. You gotta remember, people who are red flagged will have to commit no crime. That's a scary thought. Another con when it comes to these laws is the impact they will have on people's interaction with their mental health professionals. Are you going to seek treatment and risk having a health record which might prevent you from future opportunities or make you subject to red flag laws? The safest thing to do is to stay away from health professionals and refuse to answer certain questions your doctor may have for you. Have you had a physical lately? Have you noticed the questions they ask you? What the heck is that? See, the groundwork has already been set for these types of laws. During my research for this episode, I came across an analysis of red flag legislation by the Rhode Island ACLU. Now, I'm no fan of the ACLU in general because they pick and choose when and where they're going to fight for constitutional rights. But when they do good work, I'm going to point it out. They had the following to say. While the ACLU of Rhode Island recognizes the bill's laudable goal, we are deeply concerned about its breadth, its impact on civil liberties, and the precedent it sets for the use of coercive measures against individuals not because they are alleged to have committed a crime, but because somebody believes they might someday commit one. Again, the court order authorized by this legislation, again, they are referring it to a Rhode Island law, could be issued without any indication that the person poses an imminent threat to others. And then there's several bullet points here where they walk through the basically the cons of these red flag laws, including orders can be issued without any evidence that the person ever committed or has even threatened to commit an act of violence with a firearm. The court order could require the confiscation of up to a year of anyone's firearms lawfully owned by the person. The person could be subjected to or coerced into mental health evaluation, and the court's decision on that and all of these other matters would be made at a hearing where the person would not be entitled to appointed counsel. Upon issuance of an order, police would have broad authority to search a person's property. The standard for seeking and issuing an order is so broad that it could routinely be used against people who engage in overblown political rhetoric on social media or against alleged gang members when police want to find a shortcut to seize lawfully owned weapons from them. Even before a court hearing was held and a decision was made on a petition for an extreme risk protection orders, police would be required to warn potentially hundreds of people that, in the, that the individual might pose a significant danger to them. And finally, without the presence of counsel, individuals who have no intent of, to commit violent crimes could nonetheless unwittingly incriminate themselves regarding lesser offenses. The ACLU of Rhode Island finishes their findings with this quote, The heart of the legislation's extreme risk protection orders process requires speculation on the part of both the petitioner and judges about an individual's risk of possible violence. So that's a nice synopsis of what I, I consider the cons of these red flag laws. So what questions do we need to ask and what questions need to be answered before passing laws such as these red flag laws? Who will determine who gets apprehended? What's the criteria? Maybe if you attend a Trump rally or turn it on its head, a Biden rally or a Sanders rally? What if you post conservative policy prescriptions on social media or turn it on its head? What if you post liberal policy prescriptions on social media? 
or if you're pro-life or pro-Second Amendment or anti-illegal immigration or anti-single-payer health care or flip it around and make it the opposite of each of those? Or what if you're, you question the overreaching size and scope of the federal government? Or what if you publish an anti-establishment podcast? See, it all depends on who's in power. What about people who have been treated for drug and alcohol abuse? Or what if people that served in the military or in law enforcement? I mean, after all, you probably have some psychological affliction following such a career. How will we address the presumption of innocence? What standard of evidence is going to be used to determine if a gun owner is a threat? Are there penalties for people who file frivolous or false affidavits to get someone in trouble? Can people who are flagged as threats be involuntarily committed? Are they appointed legal counsel? If so, when? Will a federal database be established to track flagged citizens? In addition to family members and law enforcement, should we allow health care providers to seek an order, as is the case in Maryland? Will folks who suffer from sexual dysphoria be subjected to red flag laws? What about a guy who identifies himself as a woman on a given day, month, or year? Who defines the line that cannot be crossed? What are the implications of digital medical records? You think your records are private? They're digital. They're easily shareable and hacked. How naive are we? These types of laws are ripe for abuse of power. Let me demonstrate how these types of civil liberty violations can manifest themselves by highlighting the Chinese social credit system. A recent tweet by the Global Times joyfully reported that, quote, China restricted 2.5 million discredited entities from purchasing plane tickets and 90,000 entities from buying high-speed rail tickets in July, end quote. Isn't that wonderful? Don't you love the use of language? People are entities. So Chinese citizens are punished by their social credit score being lowered for engaging in a number of different behaviors, including bad driving, smoking on trains, buying too many video games, buying too much junk food, buying too much alcohol, walking their dog without a leash, letting their dog bark too much, calling a friend who has a low credit score, having friends online who have low credit score, posting fake news online, criticizing the government, visiting unauthorized websites. Folks with lower scores are limited in renting, buying a hotel room, buying gas, buying a train ticket or airline ticket. Their children are prevented from attending private schools. They can't buy property. But benefits of those with higher scores include better interest rates, university admittance, higher visibility on dating apps. I mean, come on. Can you not see some of those criteria applied to red flaggers and those who associate with them? You think this stuff can't happen in the United States? Are you familiar with Dinesh D'Souza? He's a conservative author and filmmaker. He was convicted of a crime based on giving too much money to a political campaign. He admitted he was wrong, and a liberal federal judge involved in the case sentenced him not only to prison, he sentenced him to years of mental health counseling despite a licensed psychologist saying that he was mentally healthy. Think about the deplatforming and shadow banning that goes on on social media. What about closing a PayPal and Patreon accounts with people with offensive ideas? There are enough unjustified, suspicious, vindictive, and politically motivated prosecutions and harassment going on today to cast a large note of skepticism on these red flag laws. The Tenth Amendment Center's advice is to oppose the disease at its beginning. The disease they are referring to is progressivism and how they chip away at the Constitution. Progressivism must be opposed at all costs. Red flag laws are tailor-made for them. 
See, they are patient, and they simply look to make progress with their agenda, such as tearing down constitutional protections, changing the definition of marriage, justifying abortion, the establishment of a central bank, the income tax, or Social Security. I cover these and many others in other previous episodes. The Tenth Amendment Center points out, quote, With the idea of a federal red flag law passing, gaining support in Washington, D.C., we're told that this would be only for the most dangerous people. But from the income tax to the Patriot Act, what we're told they'll use the new power for always starts small, eventually being used against everyone. So, like, consider the income tax. It was supposed to only impact something like 2% of Americans. It was cast as a kind of a soak the rich kind of tax, and it wasn't viewed as a major source of federal income. In 1913, when it was passed, the top rate was 7%. Five years later, that rate ballooned to 77% to pay for World War I. You are well aware and familiar with the travesty of the income tax as it stands today, despite the promises from those who passed the law of its minimal impact on the average citizen. What about the Patriot Act? Nothing exemplifies the do-something hysteria I mentioned earlier better than the Patriot Act. The Electronic Frontier Foundation published an article back in 2016 that outlines this monstrosity very well. You may remember this law was passed in the wake of the 9-11 attack and has proven not to be what was sold to the American people. It infringes on civil liberties to an astonishing extent. It's not about fighting terrorism. It's about domestic spying on American citizens, collecting metadata, phone records, online activity is monitored. I mean, the list goes on and on. The amount of scope creep that the federal government engages in when they're implementing their policies is quite astonishing. It happens time and time again. You want more examples of government abuses? Do an internet search on the words Janet Napolitano, Veterans, and Terrorists. She was Obama's homeland security head. I bet your search results include the words right-wing extremists. See, they were trying to paint former soldiers coming home as extremists. Now think about how that weighs in to the red flag law debate. How about the abuses of the so-called no-fly list? There's another homework assignment for you. Look that up. I mean, how much common sense is required to understand that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? How much common sense is required to know that whatever power you give government will be expanded? In the previous episode, number 59, The Truth About What We Agree On, I touched on civil asset forfeiture laws, which in my mind mirror how the abuses of these red flag laws will play out. There's no due process, you're delayed a right to counsel, the whole nine yards. Consider this. Recently, President Trump suggested CNN host Chris Cuomo should not be allowed to own a weapon after a video went viral showing Cuomo cursing out a stranger who approached him in public. On Twitter, Trump wrote this, Would Chris Cuomo be given a red flag for his recent rant, filthy language, and a total loss of control? He shouldn't be allowed to have any weapons. He's nuts. Former NRA spokesman Dana Lash pointed out the obvious with her tweet, which stated, With one tweet, POTUS, President of the United States, explains how red flag laws can and will be abused. After the deadly massacre at the Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in 2018, Trump said this, Take the guns first. Go through due process second. That's Trump. What would a President Warren or Sanders or Biden do, especially if they had a Democratic majority in Congress? I mean, with a GOP president spitting on the Constitution, one can only imagine what the Dems would do. 
And how much effort does it take to see how the left diagnoses their political foes? Hell, even I have said on many occasions that liberalism is a mental disorder, given all of its inconsistencies and contradictions, and the refusal to look at consequences of their policy prescriptions, and their ode to virtue signaling, and their violent tendencies. Would you trust someone like me with determining who can own a gun? I know there is some wise guy in the audience who's thinking, there wouldn't be any need to take guns from liberals since they don't own any. But that's far from the truth. Which again makes my point of the disingenuous nature of some liberal policies, such as gun control and single-payer health care. They somehow believe that their policy prescriptions will apply to the masses, but not to them. I hope the lesson of this episode is the same as many, which is to have some healthy skepticism when it comes to policy prescriptions coming out of D.C. And for one, to tread very lightly on the adoption and the rush to do something, including red flag laws. We got nothing if our constitutional rights are not upheld. Blindly giving them up is a recipe for disaster. There simply are too many unanswered questions at this point. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.